I did not. Is it this Tuesday? I didn't look. Okay. A couple more announcements that I forgot earlier. Session minute, session meeting Tuesday night, 7 o'clock. I think the gang's all here, isn't it? Yeah. And there were a few poinsettias that seems like these seem, seem to last longer than those. But the red ones, I just put them on the back if you wish to pick them up. I can't remember whose they were, but uh, there were a few back there on that back table. All right. This morning's scripture, Romans 8, verses 28 through 30. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Let us pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we thank you for putting us where we are in the book of Romans at this time, on this date. Father God, your providence never fails to amaze me. Lord, we just pray this morning that your word would comfort us all in difficult and uncertain times. We pray, Father, that you would speak to our hearts by your spirit in a way that you never have. May we understand these words in a deeper way. And Father, this is my prayer that the words I speak be not mine, but be guided solely by your spirit. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We come this morning to one of my most cherished sections in the entire Bible. And it is truly amazing as I prayed the providence of God in in working all things out for this day at this time uh, to be where we are in the book of Romans. We spent a lot of time on, on suffering. We spent a lot of time dealing with that. I am quite certain that this is a very special Scripture for many of you as well. I mean, you can remember Romans 8.28 perhaps more than any other verse, and you can quote that verse. But it's special and it's important for a number of different reasons. It marks the beginning of some extremely deep and profound theological passages. And we are going to spend many weeks on this passage and the passages that are around it. They are so important to Christian life, the foundation of what it is to be a Christian, and Christian theology. They are foundational because they illustrate the love of God in a very profound and deep way. To see that God who spoke Everything into existence does this for us is amazing. But they are also profound in that they illustrate the total sovereignty of Almighty God. And you've heard me say that I believe in a great big God. And my God is really powerful. And these passages illustrate that. 
And as we work our way through these passages, I encourage you to dig deep with me because they are deep and they are profound. And I encourage you to work them out for yourself. Don't just work them out because I say that that's what I believe they mean or what I believe that they are. Struggle with them the way that I struggle with them. And hopefully with the aid of the Holy Spirit, we'll be able to make some sense out of passages that are very difficult and that are very deep with their meaning. I'm certain that there will be some of you that object to what I have to say. Don't object to it just because you don't think that's the way the world turns, okay? Or you don't think that's the way life is. If you object to it, object to it because you've got passages in the Bible that demonstrate otherwise. And that was the that was the thing that I encourage you all to do when we started this trek into Romans whatever year and a half or whenever it was ago. Don't say, Scott, I don't believe that's the way it is just because that's the way I've been taught or that's what I feel in my heart. That doesn't cut it. You're going to have to come and say, I don't believe that's the way it is because this is what the Word of God says. Because Romans will stretch you. And it's no different with these passages. I want us to know and understand God based on what His Word reveals about Him, not based upon the God that I have created in my heart to suit my own desires. And unfortunately, the church has done that and keeps doing it more and more. We must view everything in these passages with our minds and a thought toward Isaiah 55.8, where he says, My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declare the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts than your thoughts. Those are profound words from God. I also want you to know and take a little bit of comfort in understanding that as fallen human beings, we cannot comprehend everything that's here. We can't do it. It is beyond us, and there are certain things we just trust God with and leave it to Him. Exactly how He works 828 out is beyond my pay grade. I trust that He does, and I think that's what He calls us to do. If we were able to understand everything, then that would put us on par with who? With God. So there's a reason we can't understand everything. But I don't want you to use that as an excuse just to throw it away and say, I give up and I walk away. These passages are profound and they are great. They remind me of the giant redwoods in the Pacific Northwest. Have anybody ever gone up there to be able to see those? Lori? They're huge, aren't they, Lori? They're magnificent. But something that's just as magnificent is everything that you see above, they are rooted with that below. So for all the majesty you see with that giant redwood, they are rooted ever much as great 
as that foundation is below the earth. And that's the way this passage is. We can read this passage and we can see its magnificence. We see how wonderful it is. But it has roots and a foundation that we need to try to see and understand. Because if we can't understand that foundation, then what we see above really is fickle. doesn't mean a lot when we break it down. We've got to dig deep into this, as I've quoted John Piper so many times. If you rake, you get leaves, but if you dig, you get gold. And that's what these passages require for us, to go beyond the surface. There is so much below the surface that we don't see if we just read the passage and say, Oh, that's kind of cool. Let's keep rolling. I want us to look beneath it so that we can make more sense of it. So with that, let's jump in. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. To those who are called according to His purpose. So clearly this verse 28 does not appear in isolation. We know that. We know that there is a great context to this passage. And we need to pay special attention to that context and the backdrop that precedes this passage, that we've been through already, that we've spent months dealing with. And I want us to go back and I want us to take a a, a brief preview. And I know I hear you sigh because you think we've spent a lifetime on those passages that we dealt with, and we spent a long time. But those passages deal with suffering. And there's a lot of it today in every shape or form. And if anybody in here is not, you're not being truthful. We're not being honest. Because the suffering is real, and it's here, and it's everywhere. And as I said, when we went through those passages, it's no accident or coincidence that we got to those passages when we got to them. So if you have your Bible, it's easier to see them all laid out and to see 28 and where it lines up. But if you don't, I'm going to put them up there for you. And we're going to jump back to verse 17. And Paul's saying, if we're children of God, then we're heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, provided what? We suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, people will say, well, that just means we suffer because we're being a Christian. No, this passage is unique, this passage is different, this passage is dealing with all kinds of suffering. It's talking about the suffering of our bodies, the suffering that we deal with emotionally and physical. It's all the pain that we're dealing with in our lives every day that drags us down. That's what Paul's talking about here. That we are children of God, co-heirs with Christ, then the prerequisite is if we suffer with him, then we will be glorified with him. And verse 18, what a magnificent and beautiful verse that he gives us. For I consider the sufferings as awful, as horrible, and as dark as they are in our lives. They are not even worthy of being compared to the glory that is to be revealed on the other side. It's a big statement to make because there's a whole lot of suffering. There's a whole lot of pain. There's a whole lot of hurt. There's a whole lot of anger in our world and in our lives right now. But we take this and we can say, Paul knew what it was. 
And yet he says, I don't even consider the suffering and pain that we're enduring to be worthy of comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed to us in the next life. If that does not encourage you, nothing can. Verse 19, he tells us that it's not just us, it's all of creation. All of creation out there that's dealing with the pain, the suffering, the death, the disease, the battles, the the anger, the, the fighting. They wait and long for the revelation of us, for our bodies to be made new, for us to be glorified. Because they're going to lose that curse that came about because of sin in our world. And here is that curse. For the creation, everything around us, among us, everything that we know in this world was subjected to futility. I've used that term a jillion times. You all know what it is. The same futility you, you wives get whenever that laundry basket never seems to get empty. Or when those dishes never quite get clean. Or when those weeds never stop growing in your garden. Or when those wrinkles just keep on coming. Or when that hair just keeps getting grayer and grayer. Or when those eyes that were once so bright and those colors were so beautiful just fade day after day after day. Or when that pain in our backs and legs and feet get a little bit greater day after day after day. Or when we get cancer. Or when we lose someone that we're very close to or close with. That's the futility that Paul's talking about here. And that's what the world and us has been subjected to. That's what we have to deal with. That is why there is suffering in this world. We're all subjected to that futility because of our disobedience. Because of sin. So when we have pain in our lives, it should cause us to look at the power of sin and what it's caused. Not necessarily the sin that we have done at the moment, but just sin in in general. When we lose someone that means the world to us, we should step back and think, wow. The power of sin, because I know how much that hurts in my heart. And I know the pain that it causes in my life. And it's all because of sin. It's all because of our disobedience. So it should have the the reaction to make us hate sin even more. And seek after and glorify God's righteousness and His perfection. But as I said when we went through these passages, I've got good news. Because when we get to that other side, we face the judgment. The suffering that we have in this life is the judgment for all of our sin. Not for those who don't believe, but for those who believe. Verse 21. 
And yet creation itself will be set free from the bondage of corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So Paul's telling us about creation, that it's waiting patiently to be set free from this bondage that it has. Every day in the world is painful. And I've said this before. Animals have a horrible existence. Every day of their existence is dealing with death. Either they kill or they be killed to be able to eat and survive. We get anesthetized to death in our lives. We go to the grocery store, we pick out whatever meat we want, and we forget that there was some being or entity that died that enables us to be able to eat. And that's the reality of creation and what goes on every day in the world. In order to survive, you kill, and that's what they do. That's what animals do. And that's what we do to animals to be able to eat and survive. But yet they cry out and wait for the redemption. Wait to when the battle is no more, when there is no more pain, when there is no more death, when there is no more killing. And yet Paul here starts a transition. And he tells us, for we know that all of creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And I explained to you that word childbirth, right? And we talked about how wonderful that word is because it's so different than pains of death. Pains of childbirth, and as I've said, they're real. They hurt, right? I'm not going to pretend that they don't, although I don't pretend to understand those. I get in trouble if I do that. I know it's far greater than any pain I've ever experienced or ever will experience. We'll just put it at that and leave it at that. But the pain is real. But there's something on the other side that helps get through that pain. And that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying these are childbirth pains. All the suffering that we have in this life are like childbirth pains. They're real. They hurt. They drag us down. They beat us down. But I'm telling you, there's something on the other side. There is life on the other side that helped us or helps us to endure this pain. And that was why he wanted to use that word there. And that's what's so beautiful about the word childbirth that he uses for us. And in verse 23, he starts that transition. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. We have been given the Spirit of God, and He groans inwardly as we wait for this adoption as sons and the redemption of our bodies. For it is in this hope that we were saved. Now, hope that is not seen is not hope, or hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And likewise, the Spirit, He helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but He intercedes for us. He creates a spark within us with groanings between God and and us to help us to know how to pray, to help us to know what to pray for. So he started encouraging us. He's told us about he's told us about this futility and how awful the suffering of this world is and how it can drag us down. Now he's starting to give us the encouragement saying, "Look, you've been given the spirit of God. You have hope. You've been given this spirit that does so much for you that he's going to help you to know what to pray for, how to pray." And that he's going to pray according to the will of God. 
And that's a big deal. And that's a big deal because it, it relates to verse 28 that we've dealt with here. Paul tells us that we suffer, that it's a prerequisite, but he doesn't leave us there. He encourages us. He picks us up. He's giving us encouragement during these times of battling. That the Spirit intercedes for us according to the word or to the will of God. And that's where we pick up verse 28. This encouragement is to continue. And what an encouraging passage that it is. The Spirit is interceding for us according to the will of God. And this is the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. There are a whole lot of things in this one little verse. We can spend and we're going to spend a great deal of time on this verse. So there we have the backdrop. We have the proper context for Romans 8, 28. It deals with suffering. It deals with God's encouragement or through Paul during times when we suffer. During times when we think we can't go on. And those times are great right now. The world is wringing its hands. People are dealing with a lot of stuff. And yet we have this verse for that very reason. It's very applicable to our lives. And he says, we know. Who, who's the we here? Who's the we? We're going to see that the we that know are the same people that love God, and those are the same people who are called according to His purpose. We're going to see that's, that's who they are. So we know, Paul used a very definitive statement. We know that. We don't believe that. We don't think that. We know that that's what God's doing for us. And that's what the will of God is. We are 100% convinced, Paul's trying to tell us, that this actually happens. That this is the way God works. There's no doubt in his mind. Don't think, don't believe, but know. Know that that's how God deals with this life. And it is that confidence that gets us through those difficult times. It is that confidence that helps us whenever our flesh wants to say, Oh, what are we going to do? Oh, woe is me. That confidence of knowing that, A, God's in control, and B, He's working it for our good. It's that confidence that we know whenever we lose a loved one, we lose our wife, or we lose our husband, or we lose a child, or whatever the case may be, that it's okay. It's all right. God's got this. Or when we get diagnosed with cancer, or whatever the case may be in our lives, it's okay. We stand on this verse, we quote this verse, this verse is real and it's true and it's here to help us during those moments. It is the sustenance when we feel that there is no tomorrow. can promise you this 
It doesn't matter what happens because there is nothing man-made or otherwise that's going to subvert or undermine God's ability to carry out this verse. Now, the most important thing that I want you to take away besides the fact that it is an encouraging passage is that it's not for everyone. That's the reality of this passage. And I'm not going to water it down and spoon feed it to you to make you think that it's going to apply to you when it doesn't. It's for a very select group of people. And to think otherwise is folly. To think otherwise is dangerous and dreadful. It is only for a select group of people. What is that prerequisite that Paul puts in this passage? Those who love God. That's it. It is only for those who love God. And we're going to spend the remaining moments this morning talking about what that looks like and what that doesn't look like. If you do not love God, you cannot claim this promise. It's not a universal promise to all of mankind. God is not working everything out in the world for everybody's goodness. That's not what this passage says. It is only for those who love God. If you don't love God, you are, have no business being optimistic or encouraged because of this passage. Pessimism is all that you have. It's important to note the very inverse of this passage is if you don't love God, He is not working it for your good. And this is an exclusive group of people. We are going to see next week that those who love God are identical to those who are called according to His purpose. Because if that was not the case, then what lies in between there could not happen. If those who love God aren't the same people as those who are called according to His purpose, then working things out for their good would not happen. This is a once-for-all calling by God on your life. What does it mean to love God? What does that really mean or look like that, that that's a difficult question love's kind of amorphous and difficult to fit inside of a box right i think we have far too many people in church that will say yeah i love god i think there's a scripture in there they claim they love me but their hearts are far from me words are cheap we'll look at what it means by looking at what it's not if that makes sense it does not mean that you fall in and out of love of God. Love of God is deeper than that. It is a condition of your heart, of the heart, that's not going to change. Now, there are moments when you feel like you're closer to God. And moments where you feel Him speaking to your heart much greater than other moments, no question. But there's never a time where you fall in and out of love of God. Or with God. The love of God defines true Christians. It is who we are. It is our essence. 
Everything in our lives should be shaped and formed out of our love of God. Everything. Now, we all don't do the best job at that, but that should be our goal. Love of God does not flow because of His gifts. I want that to sink in because that's a big deal. Love of God does not come as a result of His gifts, whatever they may be. Forgiveness. It's a wonderful gift, and it's something that makes you feel better. But the true love for God and of God is not a result of that. Eternal life. We don't love God just because He gives us eternal life. If you love someone or something because they do or give, it's fickle. It's not going to last because the moment they stop doing or giving, you don't love them. We don't love God because of the peace that He gives us that surpasses all understanding. His gifts are amazing, and they're beautiful, but they're not the reason that we love Him. The world wants those things, right? The world wants to live forever. The world would like to have forgiveness. That guilty conscience doesn't feel good. And so because the world cherishes those things and and likes those things, they don't love God. We know that. Jesus said, if you love me, you will what? Keep my commandments. So do we love God by keeping His commandments? No. We don't love God by keeping His commandments. The keeping of the commandments flows out from a heart that truly loves God. Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Three times on the shore. Peter's response every time was, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And what did he say to Peter? If you love me, feed my sheep. Look after and tend my sheep. That wasn't the reason he loved him. That was evidence or fruit of the love that Peter had in his heart for Christ Jesus. We don't love our parents or our family members because of what they do for us, do we? As I said, if we do, it's it's very fickle. We love them because our hearts have been changed in some way, and it's just part of who we are and how we love people. We don't buy our children or our friends, we don't buy them gifts so that we love them. We buy them gifts because we love them. You say, what's the danger in it? Why does it matter? It matters because it'll produce hypocrites, folks. It'll produce people that say, I love God because I'm sacrificing all this time or I'm giving all this money, and this is evidence. It's easy for people to do that. And there's going to be a lot of people that said, Lord, Lord, look what I did for you. See, that's my love for you. And he's going to say, no, I never knew you. It's easy to be 
hypocritical whenever we intertwine the love for God with things and gifts and doing. They flow out of, they do not create the love. Now, I believe when we first encounter God, whenever and however that may be, the initial attraction is there because of something that He has to offer, right? But I think there is a necessary progression that must take place for us to fully know what it is to love God just because He is God. He attracts us. He calls us according to His purpose, according to our desires. And yet, that relationship progresses to where He is our treasure. That's what it means to love God. That He is our treasure, that He is our heart's desire over everything else in this life. And you've heard me ask this question many times. If you die and you get to heaven and you get to see all of your relatives and you get this every pleasure that you've ever wanted in this life, but Jesus is not there, will you be disappointed? If the answer is no, you don't love him. It's that simple. You're pretending to love him based upon what he is offering you. So it's time to move on in the relationship with Him, from the receiving of gifts to the actual knowing who God is, what He is, what makes our relationship with Him special, what it's like to have Him a part of your life every day. And we're going to talk about what this word good means in the weeks to come. We're going to talk about a lot of this passage but what this word good means. Because sometimes we have a very fleshly, fickle understanding of what good is. We believe that good is what we want. That's not the proper understanding of good. It's good in horrible times, the worst times we can imagine. It's good. And it's good in the best times, the best times we can imagine. It's good. This verse does not take a time out when things get really bad. This verse does not take a time out when things get really good. It's always good all the time. So as I close this morning, I ask you to look at your relationship with Christ. Because this passage is for an exclusive group of people. Not for people that want to use Him. Not for people that think, hey, I want eternal life, so I'm going to do this and say that and whatever the case may be. It's not going to get you there. It comes from the flowing of a changed heart. Those are the ones that love God. That their hearts are truly changed. That you truly treasure Him beyond everything else in this life. Amen? Let's pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we thank you for this beautiful passage that you've given us or that you gave Paul through your spirit and and he shared it with us. Father, it is so rich, it is so encouraging, and it is so beautiful. But Lord, as we close this morning, we ask that you help us to look at our lives 
and ask ourselves this important question is, do we love you? Just like Jesus asked Peter on the banks of the lake, Father, do you love me? Help us to ask ourselves that this morning so that we can be real with what's in our hearts. Help us to not be hypocrites, to not fake things, because it's our lives and our eternity that's at stake. Lord, we know that we we ask for you to help us to, to love you. And Father, we know that's evidence of our love for you. Because there is no way that we can ask that question without you working in our hearts to create that love, to create that bond and all the beautiful gifts that flow from that. Lord, we thank you for giving us the opportunity to trust you in difficult times. And it is in these difficult times that this passage speaks so loudly to us. Father, let us live our lives to be among those who love you and who are called according to your purpose. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.